Welcome to Media Path. I am Louise Palenker. And I'm Fritz Coleman. This week, we're traveling back down an audio entertainment path to that time before podcasting when your radio was your go-to listening choice and it did not just entertain you. It also informed you, shaped your musical tastes, your sense of humor, and your understanding of humanity. Your radio station of choice afforded you membership in a community of folks in your town who listen along with you, apart but together. A community of people who live where you live and love what you love. Radio ruled for decades, and so many of our memories are formed around our favorite stations, the events we attended, the music and personalities we came to know, and the comfort in knowing that they were there whenever we turned that dial. Today on the show, we've got two radio giants who rose to the taste-making ranks of program director, radio consultant, and beyond. They are Guy Zapolian and Johnny Kay. Guy and Johnny will join us shortly, but first, Fritz. Oh, I can't wait to talk to these guys. At one time, I'm trying to think, one of them was my boss at one time, but I don't know which one. Mm. I'll, I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. I, I want to talk today about a truly moving documentary on Netflix called Senior. It's Robert Downey Jr.'s project to understand his father in the waning years of his father's life. Robert Downey Sr. was an avant-garde filmmaker who made his mark in the 60s. His films were called absurdist. I think his most famous one was Putney Swope, which was a combination of underground film and the Marx Brothers. He was also a cocaine addict, and it was a real 60s bohemian-type father, allowing Robert Jr. to smoke weed as a preteen. Now, I'm a huge Robert Downey Jr. fan. One of the first movies my sons and I ever worshipped was Chaplin, which in my opinion was Downey's masterwork. I followed his struggle with drugs as well and was fully prepared to hate his father for allowing him to do drugs at such a young age until I saw this movie. Senior had great regret at having allowed Jr. to become so familiar with drugs at a young age. And although Jr., could have harbored great resentment against his dad for that. He didn't. Robert Sr. got clean eventually, became a devoted caretaker to his second wife who died of a terminal illness, and eventually went on to try to help Robert through his drug problems. Junior worshipped Sr. There is so much love in this movie. Love between Robert Jr. and his father, Robert Jr.'s love for his own son, Exton, and all of his family. He even includes Exton in meetings with his dad when his dad was very close to death. Hard for a kid to see, but the kid gained so much wisdom out of that experience, it was really a gift that he gave his son to allow him to experience that. That's all I'll say. There's a lot of love. It will make you reflect on your own relationship with your own father and ask if you have the ability to forgive your father for his flaws the way Robert did his father. There are cameos by Norman Lear, Paul Thomas Anderson, Alan Arkin, and Sean Hayes. Really love this movie. I was surprised. I loved it, too. You know, my dad didn't oh, you, make as many absurd movies, but some of our Super 8s <laughs> are pretty pretty far up. Well, your father was a hero. Tell the, In two lines, tell the story about what your father did as a soldier in World War II. He was on the front lines of the Normandy invasion and in, through the march across Europe. And, and he was a Jewish man who went and discovered one of the camps and, 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 and freed people from the camps. Because he was a first-generation uh, Jewish-American, he spoke Yiddish, and they used him as a translator when they found women on this de- uh, Auschwitz death march. And my dad wrote letters to 
all the addresses they had memorized and reconnected them. It would be impossible to imagine what was on his heart when he discovered all those things. It was he, You and I did a lot of study of your dad's military life, and it was very impressive. Sorry. Right. We, we used his journal to map. We, t- we printed out maps, and we mapped his, his journey uh, across Europe, sleeping in trenches, anti-aircraft gunner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my dad was 18 and 19 years old, so we asked these children to save the world, and they did. That's... Uh, but I'm wow. going to talk about a different movie. Oh, P.S., before we move off Senior, I'm mildly obsessed with Exton, who's maybe 10, but he embraces such a soulfulness and uh, true understanding. He's of, wise beyond his years. <laughs> unbelievable. Watch it just for Exton. Uh, so my pick is Spectre on Showtime. It's a four-part docuseries chronicling events surrounding a chance encounter between Hollywood actor Lana Clarkson and a legendary music producer, Phil Spector, which resulted in a fatal shooting that ended one life and warped the legacy of another. The art that Spector created is more easily separated from the flawed man than, say, that of Bill Cosby or Woody Allen, because this was Spector's design. Lacking the voice or charisma to command a spotlight, he created music where the song is the star. To do run run, be my baby, then he kissed me, you've lost that love and feeling, on and on and on and on. This series peels back the layers of one of Hollywood's most tragic crimes to paint a more human portrait of Lana Clarkson and the deeply disturbed man convicted of her murder. The documentary treats Lana as a person rather than framing her within the title B-movie actress. She was a working actor in Hollywood, but her accomplishments and the quality of her character are not even the point. She did not intend or deserve to die that night. Phil Spector was a troubled genius who wielded guns. He threatened people. He intimidated and manipulated to gain power and control. He was a loner who was desperately lonely, and he is known to have exerted any means necessary to overpower, dominate, and restrain women. At the trial, which was televised, it's clear that he had the shakes. My guess is that he did not mean to shoot Lana Clarkson, just scare her into staying. But he'd been waving guns around for years. His hands were no longer steady. And when you consistently taunt danger, flirt with fear and dare tragedy, you have opened the door to doom. Phil Spector's wall of sound is monumental, but it did not give him license to entrap people, terrify them and endanger them. At some point, a loaded gun will fire. You will find Spector on Showtime. And I don't know if you've seen it, Fritz, but I I, have. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the... um, the art created by troubled geniuses and how, you know, we should respond to it. If you're feeling guilty about tapping your foot to Michael Jackson or watching a Beretta rerun, remember that there are many wonderful performers, writers, musicians, actors, etc., who work on everything we see and hear. And I feel that art, that the art is here. It has been created. And so it's meant to be enjoyed. I don't know how you feel about it. I agree. The big argument now, the, the big argument for a few years about Woody Allen has been, can you suspend your disbelief watching a Woody Allen film now, knowing what you know about him? And he was a hero of mine. And I can't. I feel like I have been uh, I, I have been cheated on. You know, right. But that's right. a little different. That's a little different because he's a character in his movies and it's different. But that's a great, uh, a great comment. And also last week we talked to David Leaf, who's drilled as deep as anyone on the life of Brian Wilson. He was disturbed in a lot of ways. Uh, but he, the flip side of that was this incredible genius who incidentally looked up to the producing talents of Phil Spector a lot. He copied some of his uh Right, but Brian is gentle. I mean, no, I know that. I'm I'm not saying I'm not comparing that side of him. Do you remember when we had Liz Astroff on the show, and you know, she her mother was certifiable, dangerous. Yeah. But and I said, you know, I talked about mental illness, and she just stopped me and she said, I don't want to, I don't want to hear about mental illness. It doesn't give you an excuse 
to be horrible. I mean, there are lots of mentally ill people who are lovely, and we make choices in our lives. I mean, it, yes, Spectre goes into detail about what he encountered in his childhood. It was horrific. It was a very, very ugly childhood. His father committed suicide when he was nine. His mother and his sister were constantly screaming at each other. He heard a lot of violence. He heard just a lot of really en enraged behavior. And so he was trying to control his life, mm -hmm. but he went over. John Lennon said he was the only guy in show business he was ever afraid of. Wow. Because he flashed guns around when he was in the recording studio. Dark, dark. But, you know, some great 60s music. And now it's holidays, so we're listening to the Ronettes every 10 minutes. But and Johnny but like, will apologize for that. But like I said, it's great music. So I say... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, Spectre's Christmas album, Darlene Love, go for it. It's awesome. <laughs> so now we have some gentle geniuses right here oh, with they, us. They yes. Do. Guy Zapolian is the president of Zapolian Consulting. He has written books and radio industry articles. He has programmed KZZP in Phoenix, KHMX in Houston, and consulted hundreds of top 40 and AC radio stations around the world, including KISS FM in Los Angeles, Z100 in New York, WBMX in Boston, and KSTP in Minneapolis. Guy is an accomplished guest speaker and a veteran of close to 50 years of programming, winning radio stations and consulting, successful stations, and research businesses. And we have Johnny K. Johnny K was most recently program director at K Earth 101 and 94.7 The Wave in Los Angeles. He is the longest running radio program director of a music station in the country's largest radio market, having programmed Coast 103.5 for over 17 years and then consulting the facility for a total association of 23 years. He has been on-air talent, a program director, a station manager, a consultant, a general manager, and we want to welcome Johnny and Guy. I, I would like to start by asking... That was impressive. Yeah, they, I mean, these... Johnny's been my friend for years, and now I'm... But, but now, finally, I'm impressed. By yeah, now you're going to be a little <laughs> intimidated. So, no. But remember, they're just people, Fritz. They're just people. <laughs> so would you each tell us a little bit about your, your initial love for radio and how you got in? Because it's a difficult career to enter, and they tell you if you're a kid and you love radio, oh, yeah, you'll, you know, you'll, never, you'll never make it. It's too competitive. So how did each of you fall in love with radio and, and get into it? We'll start with Guy. Well, mine's a little long, so if you, I can, it, mine's going to take a few minutes, but that's fine. I can, I can go into it. So, um, you know, I, since I was 14 years old, um, actually 13 years old, and I was living in law in, uh, in Stamford, Connecticut. Um, and I wanted to know what the cool kids did to, to get the girls. And my friend said, well, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to listen to cousin Brucey on 77 <laughs> WABC. And I said, really? Yeah. So I started listening to uh, to radio, and I I just fell in love with with music, and uh, you know, and, and 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 I fell in love with what how how songs became hits, and that followed me for you know whatever it's been 50, 50 something years. I've been fascinated with the hit music process, um, and uh, you know, um, I actually never thought I was going to be in radio. Um, I actually thought I was going to be a psychologist. Um, and, uh, and, a, and, and that's part of this long story. That's how I got into radio because I, I got a lucky break from my mom's boyfriend and, uh, and that helped me get into the business. So I can go more into that if you'd like. Well, that's all right. A lot of psychology and programming at a radio station <laughs> yeah. in dealing with uh, well, talent it's, it's, and picking records. Well, I'll tell <laughs> you because, uh, you know, there's, as they say, and you were just talking about it, there's a thin line between genius and insanity and unfortunately i don't think we have enough of the insanity in our business today because most of the really creative people are on that fine line 
Um, but but having a degree in psychology helped me manage those people because I had a lot of those folks working for me. And that's part of part of my success is that I had great people working for me that were a little on the edge. So absolutely. Uh, I, I, yeah. I, I want to say that Johnny was my boss for a while when I did the weather for Charlie Tuna, one of the great uh, California weather personal uh, news uh, radio personalities who I ironically I don't know if you know this or not. I ironically listened to when I was in the Navy because he was, uh, you know, played the 33 and a thirds on Armed Forces <laughs> Radio. And then I turned out doing the weather on his and you were my boss. And uh, I, I, you've been my wonderful friend for many years. And you came up with the phrase K-Big 104 forecast. Yeah, how about that? What? Did I see a dime from that? No. Legend. There's a lot of creativity in me that you don't know about. But I have to say <laughs> so, I have to say something to Guy because radio is a small family, well, you know, generally. And I worked with two people you worked with. Bob Hamilton was my program director at WIFI in Philadelphia, the first major wow. market radio station. Wow. And when I was a DJ there, Steve Rivers was the afternoon drive DJ at that town. Amazing. And you worked with Steven and... and, and uh, and uh, Bob as well, right? I worked with Steve too. Absolutely. Oh, did you really? Yeah. And wow. me too. And you too? <laughs> yeah. Jeez, I thought I was pulling off something that's fantastic. That's how I met Johnny, by the way, is through Bob Hamilton. Right. Uh, he was a lovely man, a great, uh, uh, great program director. Yeah, I wouldn't be where I am today without Bob. I mean, that's kind of my story. And I, as, I, as I get into it a little more, I can tell you. But but having people around you that believed in you and that were your mentors. And I, I honestly think it's hard, much harder today. I don't know if you have that kind of spirit as much as you used to have during our time coming through the business. But I mean, I'm telling you, I was so lucky to have the people around me that I have. Yep. People like Bob Hamilton, um, my bosses and the different stations that I worked in, like Mickey Franco at Nationwide. Um, you know, anyway, I had I had some great mentors and I, that's why that's why I was blessed to have a, a good career. Um, but go ahead, go ahead. And anyway, going back, and this is this is going to lead into Charlie Tuna, Fritz. Okay. Um, so my dad wanted me to get in the clothing business because my dad was a successful, um, successful. Uh, Schmata uh, salesman. Schmata, exactly. Schmata <laughs> salesman. Exactly. Um, the rag business. Mm -hmm. So he was. Uh, um, he he ran two two stores that were very popular in the '60s and '70s, uh, Judy's and Nobby's, which were young women's clothing stores. And he was the uh, the vice the president of Nobby's and the and the uh, you know vice president of Nobby's and uh, uh, vice president of Judy's and the president of Nobby's. Anyway, he wanted me to follow in his footsteps. And um and when I was growing up and I was going to Birmingham High School in the Valley, um now Lake Balboa, Birmingham. Um, my dad and and I lived in this this uh, apartment complex called the Balboa Biltmore. And a lot of lot of pretty famous people lived there. Um, and one of the people was this guy named Norm Prescott. And Norm was a very successful um, uh, DJ on WBZ Boston. And and he um, he started Filmation Associates, which was um, the Archies, it was the Groovy Ghoulies, it was Fat Albert, and it was all those, um, all those cartoons. And um, and he would give me. He still got. He still got records from labels. He still got um, uh, the trade magazines, Billboard and Cashbox, and I collected both of them from him. And um, but he had talked to my dad, and my dad said, "This is just a tough business." 
isn't it norm and he says yeah he says, it's a very lonely business you move around a lot and my father was convinced i should not be in radio so i um i was obsessed with khj um i listened to khj 24 7. i especially listened to their countdowns uh on wednesday night with sam riddle and uh <laughs> and the boss the boss 30 and and um and um you know and i collected the charts so um you know my dad just said you know would come in and he would give me a hard time and he would say there was a there was a song that i loved at the time by a guy named bunny siegler it was called let the good times roll mm-hmm. and my dad would come in and i would be just going crazy here in the song and my dad would say Bugsy Siegel, Bugsy <laughs> Siegel, cut this crap out and get the books, kid. You know, so um, I, uh, so anyway, I just did not think I should be in radio. So one day, you know, I, I had, um, you know, was also a contest player, uh, which made me always kind of have a soft spot for for kids that were, you know, the contest players and the kids on the on the phones calling the radio station. So. Um, so one day I said, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm going to get in and I'm going to call in and I, cause I want to win this car. And my dad just laughed and I said, okay. And I, so I called in and the jock on the air was Charlie Tuna. And He's so, a lovely man. and I, I, so I, 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 uh, I, I got in, I was, it was 24 qualifiers. They were actually taking a qualifier an hour back then. And there were 24 qualifiers. And I, they were going to do the drawing. But the only problem was I was going to summer school because I had flunked flunk chemistry. So I had to go to Taft. And uh, I'm there at 8 o'clock, and I got my little satchel, and I got a little transistor radio. And I'm going, oh, no. And they're, they're saying, and the drawing for the Maverick a day will be coming up in just a second. And I'm going, oh, no, come on, come on. And the teacher was the guy, one of the teachers who had flunked me at Birmingham High, and he was the darn teacher in Taft in my chemistry class that I'm repeating. And he's coming down the down the, the aisle with books, and I'm listening. And he goes, "And the winner of the Maverick a day is and Napoleon. What are you doing? Throw. What are you doing? What is that a radio?" <laughs> and I threw the radio in my satchel, and I had no idea that I, you know, I didn't know what had happened. I went, "I, I think I heard my name." And I looked at somebody. And I said, "I think I heard my name." And the guy. Oh, you're full of shit, Napoleon. <laughs> so, so anyway, I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, I think I won. I think I won. And my best friend Bart Holiday is is was coming by because this class was in recess uh, in the back of the the uh, of the classroom. And I said, Bart, call my sister and my dad. I know they listened. And he he says, I'll be back. And he comes back in just a few minutes and he, he had called my dad and my, and my sister answered and she told him the answer and he comes back looks in the window and he goes guy you want a car what oh, that's great oh, that's I go, great. what what then it was and charlie tuna says charlie tuna i remember you know they said this is what charlie said he says i just i just picked this guy's name out of a hat this kid's name out of a hat um you know uh, he was my last qualifier and he was the winner of the maverick a day so um, at that point, my dad goes, you know what, guy? Maybe that's a sign this is good. This <laughs> radio, radio business is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. What year that's car great. was that? 
1969. I want to talk about radio promotions because that used to be huge. And Johnny K was the king of Los Angeles radio promotions, but I don't want to talk about that yet. I want you because you have a radio origin story, which is very similar to a lot of starting DJs. You started in a small town, Hemet, California. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I sure did. I I think you'll agree with me, is a great way to learn who you are on the air, but also to learn the taste of like middle America out there. Am I right? Talk about your beginnings. Well, I was just a uh, sophomore in high school. And uh, And you won a car. uh, No, no no car. No car, not like guy. Tractor? But uh, no. no. My best friend uh, was hanging out at the radio, the local radio station in the evening hours and answering phones for the guy and getting hamburgers and whatnot. And I started hanging out with him. And I, I enjoyed being around it. I thought it was really something to see all this technology and the way it all happened. And, you know, the idea of a transmitter and towers was just amazing to yeah. me. But uh, the day came when uh, they, well, they gave the local high school 15 minutes, like 8.45 on a Sunday morning, to read high school menus and, and bulletins <laughs> and things like yeah, that. Cultural reports. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Anyhow, I didn't care anything about that, but it's Sunday morning. I get this phone call from this girl who was the host of the program. She lived up in Idlewild above this Hammett Valley. Mm-hmm. And um, she goes, I can't come down. It's snowing up here. You have to do the show for me. I go, what do you mean I have to? I don't even know who you are. She goes, well, <laughs> well, you're in, uh, you know, I, I was in drama and whatnot. You can do this. Here's the combination my locker. I've, it's 15 minutes. I've written everything. There'll be an engineer. Just go out there and read the stuff. Well, I go to the locker. I didn't want to do this because in my mind, motion pictures was here. Television was here. And radio was way down there. Wow. Um, <laughs> That's Anyhow. such L.A. thinking. Yeah. <laughs> in, Buffalo, in Buffalo, New York, this is radio. Yeah, right? That's right. Anyhow. Danny Nevereth, the top. Yeah. I go in. She's prepared five minutes of copy, not 15. And there I am with my ass hanging in the wind for 10 minutes. And I remember driving away in my little red Corvair guy, a Corvair. <laughs> and right. as I'm driving away in the rearview window uh, uh, mirror, I see three towers the radio station towers i go i never want to do that again Aww. i was humiliated wow it took about a month did you not know how to pronounce chili con carne <laughs> i still don't but, you know uh, what but what a great way that see that's the way you should have a job don't have any time to overthink it they throw you in there at the last minute and you had to improvise and that's how you but why did you think this. you had failed at it I, I don't know because your voice was changing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it was just a rough experience and uh Anyhow, the general manager had been listening, and it took him about a month to find out who I was. Really? Called me in, and here I am. I'm a sophomore in high school, and every day after school, I'm going on the air. They hired me. And they paid for my first class radio license, which was at the Ogden School in Huntington Beach. You must have had something. It was it was so much fun. My first job know, in radio so was uh, I I was in uh, the Navy for four years and I worked for Armed Forces Radio and Television, which gave me my career. The beautiful thing about that was I was a DJ and a newsman and a weatherman, and uh, regardless of how bad you sucked, 
You would never get fired. Because they can't, you, you're on a boat. You're on a boat. What yeah. are we going to do? We're not going to helicopter you. No, as long as your <laughs> shoes were shining, you said, sir, no, sir. You never lost the job, regardless of how hideous your presentation was. And so, and, and I, I look back on it now, and I realize what a gift that is to not have to worry about being fired at your first broadcasting job. And so I was out, uh, the, the day after I got out, I made uh, air checks when I was in on our little quarter-inch tape recorder. And uh, I sent it around, and that's how I got my job at Wi-Fi. I was hired as the music director at WIFI, and then they put me on overnight, and then I was in the middle of the day, and that's how I began my career. So I had the gift of having a job that I could not be fired from, and there's something to be said for that, although it probably wasn't healthy for me not to be able to be fired. (laughs) Oh, I think it is. It's the same as wearing, wearing pads. You're, when you're skating, you're going to do more tricks. You're going to challenge yourself. Yeah. Or if there's a net when you're doing your high wire act, you know, Fritz, how you do every weekend when you do your high wiring. Oh, if yes. there's a net, you try You're more adventurous. You try more things. Am I right, Garrett? You try more things when you're wearing pads. So it was that was the safety to fail. And it well, was still right. well. Yeah, I mean, and plus, I mean, people learn. You know, your first job is where you learn your on-air personality. You learn the technology, and all those things. And that's a question I wanted to talk to you about, Guy. It seems like those early days, like Johnny's starting radio, where you go start for no money at a small station, read the soybean report at five forty-five in the morning, and mm-hmm. eventually work your way up. But it just seems now with consolidation and syndication, and small markets now can play syndicated programming. It seems seems like there are fewer and fewer places for young talent to get a start. Do you guys agree with that? One million percent. Mm-hmm. Yes, same One here. One million percent. So let's, I, I, yeah, go ahead, Guy. I was just going to say, it's funny, I actually addressed, uh, I have a good friend who used to be in Los Angeles radio, Michelle Santasuso, um, and she actually teaches classes for the Newhouse School in Syracuse, and I had to do a presentation, and that was one of the questions was, where do we get started today? Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 I and I ta- and I reminisced about what we had at KCCP in Phoenix. We had a research department. We had full time air, you know, air shifts. We had weekend air shifts. So and and there were places you could actually work at the radio station, like I did at Kareth initially, doing traffic and continuity or some other job, and still be able to do weekend shifts to hone your craft. So it's just so much harder today. You know, and and um, and and that's really a lot of that is due to consolidation. Um, and, you know, and unfortunately, it's become such a big business today that, you know, they when when the telecom bill hit in 96, um, the amount of money that was paid for the radio stations were was 10 times what it had been a year before than a year before. Mm-hmm. So people became afraid of what they used to have on every executive's desk, you know, back in the 90s, there was a plaque that used to say, fall in love with the risk. Risk went out of the business because people were afraid to make mistakes. And frankly, that's part of what my job was at, at iHeart was to kind of make sure that people did the right thing and didn't take too much risk. And yet my heart was breaking because I had a real soft spot and I would talk to some of the people there. I said, you know what? You know, unfortunately, you can't do it, but, you know, because that's the people are afraid of taking risks. But, um, you know, so it's it's a shame anyway. For so us what to, are the numbers? End. What are the numbers now, you know, uh, concerning listening habits? Uh, how many people are still listening to the radio every day and how many people are just exclusively li- listening to streaming content podcasts? Well, it's still I want to say I, I don't have the figures in front of me, but 
it's like number one radio still the most listened to medium period okay? Okay, okay people listen to it there are more people listening to it okay so cum you know the amount of people you know people that listen to it at least once during a week there's a bigger cum for radio than there is for streaming or anything else but the problem is it's the time spent listening to these other devices like streaming um, you know, TikTok, whatever, that's a lot more. And the median age for radio right now is 50. That's Louise, the median age. I'd like to point out, too. Okay. Because when I left the industry, uh, they let, loved to tout that 90% of America every week listens to radio, <clears throat> or, you, or you, you're exposed to it. That's, that's such a misnomer because the way ratings were taken then by the Nielsen Company— you wore this device, or you kept it on your purse or whatever, and this was a, a device that could pick up a pretty quiet signal that all broadcast stations were encoded with. Oh. So they, they weren't listening. If I went in the Macy's and they were playing the Coast Christmas music, right. my device simply says, I'm exposed to it. It is not listening if I'm paying a cashier and having oh, a wonderful conversation with very it. Very interesting. Go ahead, guys. Uh, so so I've got all this stuff in the back <laughs> that I was going to talk about. But, you know, since we're talking about it, this is more of a casual conversation. I'm going to bring up one of the things, and this is exactly what Johnny talked about. I, I mentioned the death of a thousand cuts that radio did to itself. That was the first death. The When um, there was a problem in 1986 where Arbitron, which was before Nielsen doing the ratings, had decided they wanted to be more accurate in the in the Colram committee, which was the design committee for the diary, s decided to put lines between the day parts. And what happened, I know Johnny remembers this, what happened was all of a sudden the listening dropped by like 40% because they were being more accurate. And people really didn't listen all day, but they would write their lines through the diaries saying, oh, listen all day. Well, that was crap. So the same thing happened, happened to TV was, with the people meters. As soon as the people meters came out, it was a more accurate depiction of who was viewing, and they dropped off precipitously. Yeah. But however, right. however so, you're measuring it, the truth remains that technology has changed the way we receive yeah, content, yeah, yeah. and it and it has changed what's available to us. And you can curate the music that you want to hear and the programming that you want to hear, and you're not limited to what happens to be on the radio at that moment. So, yeah. do you think that radio could have done more to get ahead of that? that curve and present their programming options in, in more of an on-demand fashion. You know, you can listen to this fun radio show that's about your community whenever you wake up. Why, and Guy, yes. I know we're yes. on the same page here. Mm -hmm. Why would you, uh, the thousand cuts, I love that line. Why would anyone choose to listen to a service where you have to sit through seven commercials in a row? Right when you can go to a stream and not have that happen. Right. Yeah, right. Uh, why? And, 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 go ahead. And get Don. anything you want on demand, Johnny. Yes. And not have to wait through songs you don't like to hear songs you do like. Yeah. The music director who used to put together the program and the music logs for each disc jockey was making, along with the program director, was making choices about, well, we're going to rotate these 10 records faster than these uh, 20 others. You don't need music program for you. 
And now it can be done, even if you want that done, it can be done through technology. Mm-hmm. Pandora and it all just that. seems to me that the, the answer an was... Algorithm, mm-hmm. right. The answer was right in front of the music industry and the radio industry, and that was to have a device that when it was playing a song, you could press a button and own that song instantly. When you're listening to right. a commercial, you could press a button and have that content come to your inbox instantly. You can use the visual element that is now available. You're not going to look at it when you're driving, but if you're doing something around the house and you hear a song that you love, just press a button. And everyone right. would have paid into that and everyone could have made money, but it felt like the music industry and the radio industry, everyone was just trying to hold on to jobs and pretend it wasn't happening because the old model, they, they were boss. They, they were the boss of that model and they didn't yeah. want to see that. They, they thought they were, it, to use an old line from, from uh, 2008 during the recession, and the banks, they were. They thought they were too big to fail. Too big to fail, right? And now you know, I have they two. They really did. And two it was a failure of an imagination too mm-hmm. that they couldn't picture it failing. Go ahead, Johnny. I have yeah. two automobiles. One does not have AM radio because it's an electric vehicle, mm-hmm. and the second one I have to go not one, not two. I have to go down three menus to get to AM if I ever want wow. to listen to an AM station. And in my opinion, humbly, uh, the only really still successful radio formats where people actually can tune to the radio and not an app are talk radio yeah. and, and news. And that's how AM, right, Guy? That's how AM saved itself. I mean, they found... Yeah, it's they talk found, radio, right. absolutely, and sports. But it's but gotten... Talk radio, right, sports it's, too, but yes. talk radio has been hijacked by extreme right-wing yeah. Yeah. kind of broadcasting that yeah. isn't maybe the yeah. healthiest dialogue. I, and, you know, as it I, turns I just, out... I just, had, I just had my dinner, so I don't want to lose it. <laughs> <laughs> so please don't bring up Rush Limbaugh or something. Oh like no, that. no, no, no. But the one sort of mystery in what we're talking about is commercials. I mean, I listen to some radio say TV's the, is guilty of the same thing. I mean, like a nine-minute commercial set. It's crazy the amount of commercials. It's but, insane. But um, I, I want to say this though: it's not always the commercials that are the irritant. And I think an example of that is no, oh, sure, the serious uh, XM inability to completely uh, dent the terrestrial radio market. I mean, they don't have any commercials on there, but, but people still don't listen to it. Why is that? Yeah. I think, I think you know, I don't have the facts. Maybe Johnny does, but I think Sirius XM is growing. Um, I will tell you that I spend most of my time when I'm listening to radio is listening to Sirius XM. So do I. Same, same here. They're great. Yeah. I, really I do because I get the news channels on there. I love Peter I, Noon yeah. and, and oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, they've yeah. got some great I'm, shows. I'm yeah. listening to Morning Joe on Absolutely. Sirius XM. Yeah. And Absolutely. Shotgun Tom Kelly. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So it's it, it doesn't lose anything. You get the information. And it, it also seems to me that they, they, should, uh, they should allow you to, like when you're listening, when you're, you know, Music is such an impulse purchase that the moment you're hearing something you like, you should be able to press a button and and download it and have it. Like if you're walking through a store and you hear a song, I mean, I know they have whatever that app is called where where you hold it up and it recognizes the song, but that's a lot of... Oh, Shazam. Shazam. There should be like one screen in your life, like your phone, where you just tap a thing and that's like, remind me that I liked this. Even if it's just an ad for something that you might want to buy for someone's birthday present. Like, just remind me that I liked this. We're losing opportunities to sell people. That's a spectacular Um, idea. You should patent that. (laughs) Really? It was was discussed at one time. I mean, so I'm going to... Let me just run through a couple of things that kind of 
go along what you're talking about. You know that Steve Jobs was asked to put an FM radio chip in, in, in the iPhone. And he said, radio is yesterday's news. I'm not going to put it in. Wow. He refused to do it. And, and the, and the radio industry, um, kind of just kind of, I, I guess they must've just given up. Um, and you know, outside of I of, uh, outside of, uh, what is it? Um, tune in or iHeartRadio, you know, that's where you can listen. You can stream radio stations, but you know, it, the radio business just did not invest itself in becoming part of the mobile phone, which is the fifth appendage for, you know, for 200 million, maybe more Americans right. and, you know, and, and billions around the world. So it's just ridiculous that Guy. radio never did it and, it and it lost its chance to stay in the future. So, you know, Johnny, you're going to say something? Yeah, my understanding is I listen to Leo Laporte a lot. Again, on talk radio yeah, about like computers, he, he's my expert. Yeah. That according to Leo, all of our iPhones do have the chip. They refuse right. to turn it on. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's in yeah. here. It's not turned on. Wow. It says iPhone 6 was when they started putting, I think, putting the chip in iPhones, but they refused but, you know, the, the Apple has continued to refuse to turn it on. But so what they're, what just, they're missing is that, that, and maybe this will come back around, what they're missing is that uh, group listen experience, that opportunity to yeah. be listening to something at the same time as everyone else and to be taking part in something collectively. And that right. we might come back around to where there, there is a renewed uh, interest and enthusiasm for that, that kind of... Uh, group think that happens when you're all right. experiencing something together i, th I think That's early made the hits go ahead johnny early ahead. radio real early radio where you saw the black and white photos of the family sitting around the packard bell yep <laughs> you know that was that shared experience mm -hmm. uh when guy and i were programming i think a big part of, of the service we provided because we knew radio was number one in car listening that was where it was listened to the most. We were keeping people company. And right. I always saw that as our service. That's why it was always, if you worked at a Johnny K station, it was never, I've got a book to give away. No, we've got a book to give away. Not call my producer, call our producer. You know, and it was always, it was never 78 degrees outside right now. No, you're with them. It's mm. 78 degrees right now. Right now. It's, yeah, it's a collective, so collective. Um, yeah, interesting. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other things that are along this line. Um, 12, and by the way, 12% of there's Edison has this great service called Chair of Ear where they do research every year and, and it, and streaming went up 1%. Streaming to radio is only 12% of all the listening to radio. Only 12% in the modern world with mobile phones. That's insanity. Uh, yeah, my, my boss took me out to lunch about 20 years ago. My One of the 43 general managers that I worked for <laughs> at Channel 4 Los Angeles. And he held up his phone and he said, and his reason for taking me to lunch was he wanted to talk me into providing more services like doing like a, a one minute weather forecast for the Channel 4 phone app. So he was talking me into doing more labor for nothing, which is the only reason he took me to lunch. Mm -hmm. And he held up the phone and he said, you don't understand. This is everything. 
This is right. where everything is going. TV, movies. I said, you are full of shit. There's wow. no way somebody's going to sit down and watch a movie or a TV show on their phone. And I'm glad I didn't make a bet because everything <laughs> is about this. But, right. but I love what Guy's saying because imagine if we could watch live TV easily or listen to live radio. It, it, it does everything else. Why doesn't it let us do that? Because things like sports where, you, you know, you're at the game, but you can't quite hear the loud. You just want to I just want right. to listen to what's happening right now. The news, right. the sports, the what, you know, the music. Yep. I want to listen to what everyone else is listening to. But yeah. if you hear a new song. Yeah. This is my criticism of music radio today, because I'll go get a haircut and hear it playing on the speakers above me. They're only promoting some sponsorship deal they have for an upcoming concert or event. Mm -hmm. They didn't tell me what that song was I just right. heard, and right. I have no There's idea. No back and yeah. in terms of talent, you know, Guy, you and I are focused on talent. They're not excited about playing the song anymore. Or right. who the act is. If you listen to Shotgun right. Tom Kelly on the 60s on, uh, on He's channel, awesome. Yeah. That's it. He's pl when he plays uh, "Cry Like a Baby" by the Box Tops. It's like the first time he's ever played the song, and he's so excited <laughs> yeah. to present it to you. And you and get a digital readout of the name of the song on your radio in your car, yeah. which you don't get when it's just listened. Yeah. And one of one of the things it's, that I think could make a lot of money is remember the, uh, like a, sometimes there's a channel on your cable service, which no one's getting cable anymore. But if it's playing <laughs> music, am. it shows you some facts about the group, some pictures of the group, right. and then they could. Fill that space with ads because you're looking at the TV to see what group is this, what year was this, who are the members, right. what are they doing now. You'll look, and then they could have ads. So there's so many yeah. places they could be making money that that they're not. Guy, wouldn't you agree that uh, television is making the same mistake that radio made? It tends to be a couple of years behind all the radio mistakes. Sure. I mean, I can't watch a weather forecast. Sorry, Fritz. Well, no, sorry. You're, you're out yeah, of That's it. why I get out of the business. <laughs> Fritz is on his no, phone. He's checked out of this conversation. No, I have to answer this. It, it is terrible. <laughs> they just, uh, Channel, yeah. <clears throat> pardon they, me, Channel they, 5 here in town just built this extravagant set. It's beautiful. <clears throat> I'd like to see it instead of the one-third at the bottom telling me which attorney to use right. if I have a car accident. <laughs> well, that, you, what you're wrong. talking about is a business <laughs> in survival mode. Listen, broadcast television is doing anything to elicit commerce now. Because, yeah. and I'm sure Guy has an opinion about this, streaming content is killing network primetime television. Yeah, it's throwing everything off. So these guys, you know, they, they have a bug over the five-day forecast. They have a bug over the... And this beautiful, attractive weather person is brought to you by... There's just going to be a barcode Fantastic over Prince's Sam. face. Like, yeah. you know, I just want this product. Uh, but let's talk heyday. I, I don't know if we can solve radio. So let's talk heyday because you guys have stories. Exactly. And sure. I want to hear, for example, Johnny, what, what records are you... How many times have you played a Michael Bolton record? Are you keeping, are you keeping track? Because I think there's an award Come for Come on, you. you were a coast. You had to launch yeah. Michael Bolton records. Yeah, I love Michael Bolton. Same. <clears throat> Quick Michael Bolton story. Yeah. My, my husband, Ken I'm Phillips. here for it. He got a job working for Diane Warren, <gasps> the famous one song. One of my wow. friends. Okay. And the way he got it, I took him to an event one time for radio, and Diane happened to be there. And Kenny's hanging with her, and... He, and uh, uh, she says, what kind of music do you like? He goes, I love that Laura Branigan was playing. Oh. And she goes, I oh, wrote no. that. 
I wrote that song. And he goes, no, you didn't. Wow. <laughs> and a few days later, he uh, she invited him to her office, and he became employee number three with I Diane Warren. I think that's Warren. how I know Kenny, is through Diane. Oh, I'm sure you do. Yeah, because yeah. you had an office in her building, didn't you, at one yeah, time? Yeah, I could hear her writing her songs. Her piano <laughs> that's was... That's right. And then she'd call me and play it for me, like, what do you think? Oh, guy, yeah. you'll enjoy this. So she's at 6565 Sunset. A Boulevard, which was the old RCA Records building. Mm. Kenny and I have offices at 6464 Sunset, one block down. Okay. And I'm sweet 900, she's sweet 900. And the Hollywood Post Office always makes mistakes, and I would get her mail to oh. deliver to me. And I'd open it up. Of course. And I would call Diane and say, I have a royalty check here for $960,000. Would you mind endorsing it for me? <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. I'll, I'll, I'll send, I'll send someone over right now. She was there quickly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. if I know Diane. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, what records did you break? Uh, and who? What, what are you excited about having maybe introduced people to? Um, God, the 60s and early 70s. I, I loved introducing people to all the records we played. Um just like Guy, he has a couple of things on his wall behind him there, I can see. Yeah, I see but, Mick Fleetwood. But Guy probably, like me, has a uh, public storage locker with a bunch of these things stacked up in there that you don't even yeah. look at any longer. Uh, I, I just, uh, I enjoyed, there was a magic to being on the radio, and I enjoyed giving people what they wanted. You know, and I think radio got away from that. They got to a formula of how to play records instead of this person's called me four times tonight for this record. And if I have the ability to play it, but I'm not going to play it. Yeah. You know, well, Guy mentioned a great radio promotion earlier that kept kids listening to the radio, even when they were in class, when they were <laughs> when there were no yeah. earbuds. They had to hold the thing up. to. But but you were the master of Los Angeles radio promotion. Give us I'll give you an example of a radio promotion I did that almost killed me. And then but not, and then I want to hear some of your great examples, because that was the fun of being a DJ in the radio. So I worked at WKBW in Buffalo, New York. Guy, you know, that. It's a great 50,000 watt station. Very historic and i was a dj there when the love canal incident happened which was this massive industrial poisoning of a whole neighborhood and my boss at the time sandy beach you know might know sandy he was a program director. i certainly heard the name yeah. yeah uh said hey i got a great idea for a promotion we'll go to the bank we'll get a whole stack of hundred dollar bills and we'll go up to the love canal and we'll hand out hundred dollar bills to all the poor people who are having a tough time in the love canal well just being in the area you could lose a liver or something so we had to wear rubber boots and we're going up to the Love Canal and we're knocking on doors. Hey, we're from WKBW. Here's $100. Nobody answered because they had all evacuated the town. Because wow. they were ordered to get out. We only gave away like three $100 bills because nobody was there. So it was a great idea for a promotion. And we had pre-promoted it on the air, which was really embarrassing. But anyway, you've done some very successful radio When I was in El Paso, we hired a new morning man. And we didn't announce who he was. He came to town. We dressed him like a bum. <laughs> And there was a central park in El Paso surrounded by hotels. And we had him, we gave him a stack of $100 bills, and he was handing out $100 bills to people. And word got around, and there was a crowd. The police eventually show up. But we told him to act like he was nuts. So he got locked up in, in, in the hokey. Really? And, uh, <laughs> 
And we so we not had, do that we had now. every newscast and we had every newspaper in town covering this. And we waited 24 hours to bail him out and then bailed him out announcing he was the new morning man on our radio Whoa. station. Oh, wow. That's a great promotion. You That's so great. could not do that now. That's very creative. Wow. Do you remember... Do you remember Paul Drew? You, oh, of course, course. you remember Paul Drew. Yeah. And he was, a, he was a great mentor of mine. But he wasn't terribly well-liked by a lot of people in the industry. <laughs> he was a very tough man, a very kind man behind the scenes, but a very tough man to work with. And um, uh, they had a contest on KHJ, and um, it was the Lieutenant Palumbo uh, instead of Lieutenant Colombo contest and you had to solve the crime and it was a celebrity who had committed the crime. So you had to figure it out. They give out clues and a guy named Ken Levine. I don't know if you know, I know Ken. Ken. we know yeah. Ken. Okay. A great writer. Ken Levine was Beaver Cleaver. He on another radio station and he, he was, a, he could be a real smart ass. So he, <laughs> so he got, he got into, he got in and they say, okay, um, you know, whoever Ken Levine, who was the celebrity criminal and what was his crime? And he said, Paul Drew for killing Kenny's <laughs> Jay. Wow. Wait a minute, Ken Levine was your uh, we had we stayed in the same UCLA. dorm at UCLA. Yeah, oh, really? Wow. Yeah, and, and one time I'm at a radio conference in Virginia and I'm watching a black and white television, and the Emmys happen to be on, and they say, accepting the award for screenwriting for. Uh, Mash is Ken Levine, and I'm looking, going, that's that's, that's the guy Levine. I went to class with. I mean, he right. worked on Cheers. He worked oh, yeah. on a whole bunch of stuff. He wrote a great book about his childhood. That, I didn't like, read that. yeah, no, it's well, brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. He's brilliant. And by the way, that's Ken Levine would guy. come. My first radio job in Hemet, a station that signed off when the sun went down. Ken Levine's grandmother lived in Hemet, and he came out and would look through the window at me. Wow. Uh, so you were a star to Ken Levine. Oh, That's no. so cool. Vice versa. I want to hear Heyday Stories, Guy. What records did you break, or do you feel like you'd like to take credit for breaking? Um, well, probably the one that I'm probably known for is um, in 1988, when I was at KCZP in Phoenix, um, we had... Uh, we had gotten to the place where I had some really amazing people working for me, a guy named Kevin Weatherly, who was a program director of K-Rock. I had a guy named Gene Baxter, who was Kevin, who was Gene, was B Kevin and Bean, who was the K-Rock morning show. I think they're still in the air, really, aren't they? And they do it from somewhere in the not Northwest. Anymore. Oh, no? Yeah, not anymore, but, but for years he was. He's in England now. But anyway, but Gene was a very, really talented music director. And a guy named Todd Fisher worked for me as well, who went on to program in a couple different places like Milwaukee and Minneapolis. So we're sitting there, and we got to the place where we, we didn't care what the record labels would give us. We would say, it's going to have to prove itself to us because if it's not, if we don't think it's good enough and our ears, our collective ears don't think it's a hit, I'm going to wait till it's, you know, top 20, maybe even higher on the charts. So one of the songs we refused to play was A Matter of Trust by Billy Joel. I said, you know, it's okay, but... We, you know, we drove the Columbia record rep, Bob Conrad, crazy. Why are you playing it? And I go, well, when it's top 20, we'll think about it. But I don't think it's that great a song. So what we would do is each week we would go through and look at everything that was coming out, whether it was an import from, you know, or it was an album cut, like a Phil Collins album cut that was, you know, was was going to be big and, you know, wasn't going to be released. But whatever we thought was the best song of the week, we were going to add 
And one day we were sitting there and I go, well, is there anything else? And Gene and Todd said, you know, there's this one song that that my friend Sherman Cohen used to play when I was working in Tucson. It's a great song. And I said, what is it? And I and he said, it's Red, Red Wine. And I said, well, I played that back in Tucson. And he goes, yeah, but did you play the right version? I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, that was right after the disco demolition or a couple of years after the disco demolition. And nobody wanted to play black music. Nobody. So, wow. you know, in Tucson, I was told not to play. You know, you can't play this. It's too black. And I'm going, oh, my God. oh God. And I'd really? come from Los Angeles. Tucson was my first programming job. Long story short, we played the short version because the label was told to take the little red, red wine, you feel so fine. And mm-hmm. that little part was removed from the original version. So in 1988, we're struggling trying to figure out a song to play. And I said, you know what? That's a great song. Why? I couldn't, I didn't realize that that's why it wasn't a hit. So we brought it back, started playing it, and nobody in, in the world was playing it as a current song. But um, I'd learned lessons from listening to KHJ and they played album cuts all the time and they didn't follow the rules. And, you know, so so we started playing it and the song, you know, started working on our weekend uh, party patrol show. And then it started getting requests. And so we put it into regular rotation and I started getting calls from people like Scott Shannon who would say, kid, what are you, you what are you beating the bushes for these songs, man? Or, you know, Buddy Scott, my friend in Chicago would say, you know, where's this song coming from? I said, all I can tell you is we have our own call out department. It's huge. And they, you know, we luckily we had a good enough reputation. And when we started a record, it became a hit. They used to break um, records in a different way. Uh, I mean, I I was a music director at Wi-Fi for a year and they would look at the charts for the smaller markets and see stuff right. stuff would bubble up out of the smaller markets right then when it then they if it got to a media market they'd make it as an ad and then it would work its way up the charts and and doing record research used to be me sitting down with a gallon of coffee and calling right. every uh, <laughs> record store right. in the area and doing like a five bullet right. point list and how right. do they, how do they do it now how do they even do this it's clicks yeah, now but, isn't it but by by that by the way that when I got my job when I, I came back to Care in nineteen seventy eight Bob said hey you know what kid I want to have I want to get all the record stores and I want you to start doing a tabulation of the biggest records and that's what I did too Fritz oh my that's, god there were more record stores list. where you were than there were where I was Johnny did you have a red red one actually there is one song I'm proud of oh okay and the artist gave me credit for it not once but yeah. twice because we got it re-released and was into the night by benny mardonis you did that i don't know if it was me but because i was at a major radio station we had propellant i think it i find it very very interesting when a song will out of nowhere re-enter the charts 15 years later these are they're like phenomenons that are just something is in the the universe and the atmosphere and and when i was so i was writing the a countdown show for premiere and you know you had to find little factoids about all the artists so benny mardonas was a difficult nut to crack so we made it like into this whole mystery saga like where is he 
And uh, and I wrote a newsletter. I don't know if you got my newsletter, but I wrote a newsletter every week that went out, premiered News and World Report. And it was always like, you know, we're going in search of Benny Marnones. And when we finally found him, the guy lived in Woodstock and he didn't even know because he didn't have a phone. So like months <laughs> went by and it was like, Benny, someone's knocking on the door. You know, you have a hit record again. And he was just like, wait, what? And uh, and so by the time we interviewed him and I, sh- I showed him all the newsletters, like he thought it was hilarious. He was the nicest, most outgoing guy. Mm. He just didn't he didn't know why this happened or it wasn't like the ghosts like a. Uh, like um, the Bobby uh, Hatfield song, it wasn't like like that where it was on a soundtrack. Right. It was just, melody. Yeah. Do you? So it was you, Johnny. I I definitely was one of the first. <laughs> we 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 brought it back a second time. Yeah. We brought it back in 1988, and and jo- and Benny is was so grateful. He's such and a dog. He actually yeah. tracked me down at and when I went to Houston a couple years later with you know with another song, and he was just. He was absolutely effusive and, you know, and it, you just don't get that from artists all the time. He was so grateful for things that we were able to do to help him, Johnny. Yeah, there, there was a documentary recently about um, within the last five years about that uh, Latin artist, Latin American artist that uh, was had like a moderate one hit situation in the United States. Rodriguez. Yes. And it was a hit, he was a big hit in South Africa. He was a big hit somewhere and he had no idea. And then when somebody told him about it, then he created this whole thing where he was doing tours and it became wildly successful and it was a situation very similar to that. He had no idea how successful he was. I think that doc Who was this? Uh I think it was called Rodriguez. I can't remember his first name, but what was the name of the movie? It was it was Best Doc that year. Yeah, it it was really wonderful actually, but it was it was that that, that they, they, the record label didn't even tell him that he was selling units in South, South <laughs> so they, wow. they were keeping all his money. They were just like, we can't find him. And the music industry does that stuff a lot. Do you have it? Searching for Sugarman. Searching for Sugarman. That's highly right. recommend. It's on Netflix, uh, I think. So what kind of stuff would labels do? Like you guys have an interesting history and relationship with labels, like record labels trying to get you to play. Because at the time, kids, if a song, if you didn't know a song, you couldn't go in and ask for a song. So airplay was everything. So what kind of things did folks do from labels that would come and visit you to, in order to try and convince you that you Pull out a wad of cash. <laughs> Guy, you were, you were the music director of K-Earth, so we, both Guy and, and ourselves over the coast, each station had a music day. For us, it was typically Monday. I think L.A. was typically right. Monday. And so between maybe 11 and uh, 2, I would see people, and Guy over at K-Earth might see people in the afternoon on Monday. Right. And they would do everything from dance on your desk to the song to... Uh, but I don't remember any really baiting back then. We didn't yeah. even get promotions that much. We might get some concert tickets to give yeah. away. That was after the payola scandal anyway, so everybody kept a tight rein on that. But they yeah, had absolutely. ways of getting their point across. Like, how many firstborn babies do you own? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the, those, no, I mean, you, you know, usually when, you know, I mean, there were people like myself, and I'm sure Johnny that would take chances on songs, but the normal way people promoted songs was they used charts. They used, especially back in the radio and records days, um, they used um, they used performance at radio stations. So they were, it's number one at this station, it's number five with a bullet at this station. So they would build a case for you, you know, just almost like they Before were, they you know, in, in, in the court. 
Or they'd say, we yeah. can bring you this other popular artist for an event if you play this. Mm -hmm. sure. well, mm -hmm. The quickest way to get a song played yeah. was to get it played on your competition. Right. So personal relationships were always highly important. So it's like important. dating, you know. Just go out with somebody, make him jealous. I, and guy, I don't know if you what your your method was, but when someone would come in, and there were those record promoters who would beat you up if you weren't going to play, you you sure. they basically called you nuts. Yeah. I I would always say, whoa, time out. There's going to be another. You're working for this label. There's going to be another release. We have to work together in the future. Let's not blow up this relationship over this yeah. one. Although they oh. were under tremendous pressure, yeah. right, guy? These promoters. Oh. oh, I mean, I'm trying to think of of uh, like I always remember Ben Scotty. Oh, yeah. Like one, Scotty one of Brothers. the office guys, and he would like. I mean, and Donnie Einer is another one who's kind of like of that school that were very, very tough, very tough, and you'd like. You, you know, they'd have you sweating bullets like something <laughs> might happen to you if you didn't go along. But, you know, I mean, that's just not what we did. So right. we I'm stuck to our guns. And, you know, I, I wasn't always popular with everybody for doing it. But like you're saying, there was always another record that you could be playing that you could be helping them with. Mm -hmm. You know, and that kind of suggests a thing that makes me very sad about radio. My, my first jobs were top 40 CHR, contemporary hit radio. And it was done by research, and it was the top 40 popular songs, regardless of what genre they came from. Right. It was pop, rock, country, R&B, soul. And it didn't matter where, where they were, they would stack up, and it was all gauged by sales. But you could have... Johnny Cash following a James Brown record on yeah. Top 40 Radio, and you got a little sampling of everything, which has also been my uh, my my sadness about late night television. When Johnny Carson was on, um, you would get a little smattering of everything. For instance, he'd have Beverly Sills on one night as an opera singer. Then he'd have a fourteen year old violin virtuoso. Then he'd have you know Carl Sagan talking really deep about, and you would learn a little bit about a whole yeah. lot of areas. And it was kind of like. It, it was the same philosophy as Top 40 Radio. It was successful people in every genre. And it was really, uh, Guy, it was, the, it was the only way some American people were exposed to all these different genres. And it's the same yeah. way I feel about music. I feel sad that that's not there. Yeah. You listen to Kiss FM, and their whole hour is all, our, uh, is all rap. Every single yeah. song is rap. There are no ballads. There's no, you know, I, I'm sad that that's over. Yeah, it, It's unfortunately... Um uh, that lack of diversity, that lack of diversity of genre is just another one of the death of a thousand cuts. Mm -hmm. And um, and and there was a belief that you had to have a sound. So people started programming top 40 like a niche, like a niche instead of programming it like what we grew up listening to, which was if it's a hit. If it's whatever it is, yeah. doesn't matter if it's country. It doesn't matter if it's uh, you know uh, Getz and Gilberto doing the you know the mm -hmm. girl from Ipanema. <laughs> if if it's a top if it's a top hit and it's top twenty, we're going to play it. And they just don't do that anymore. It's it's much more narrow casted, and I think that's a real problem too. In fact, I was even told at one time you couldn't play ballads. I went and I would talk to my friend Mark Chase, who 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 was the head of. Uh, um, iHeart's, um, you know, special service, special services and kind of does the, uh, 
the strategic uh, strategic services, I should say. Anyway, just we just kind of laughed at each, you know, with each other. Go, you mean <laughs> you've lost that love and feeling, and and you know, the, some of the greatest songs of all times are ballads, and you're not supposed to play them on top forty radio. Please, that's crazy. But they thought a slow song would make people tune out on the people meter. Well, on so, our, our hot clock, you could not play two ballads together. You could never play two females together. Right. Yeah. Well, Back that always that always. I always found that confounding when I worked at Kiss, you know, because I wrote for Rick D. So I, I was friends with uh, uh, Gene Sambloom, the music director. That you know, the, you can't play. You can play two men back to back, but you can't play two women. You're a man programming that. Like you don't want to hear that because something about the timber of a female voice. Johnny, please speak to this because I do not understand yeah, no, how that had, ever became a rule. We had research. Thank God it's changed. Now okay. you hear a whole bunch of females in a row oftentimes on your hot ACs or ACs uh, radio stations. Uh, what they found was by playing air checks for people in focus groups, that if you played two females in a row, you didn't lose the females, but you lost the male listeners. They started searching and they were button pushing. Really? And that's, Guy, am I correct or, or not? Do you uh, recall that? That makes sense. Do you know what, like the dials when you could actually watch people following along and if they mm-hmm. punched out or uh, tuned out they could you know tune down when they heard it so yeah you but there's could something see there's the, something the interesting action. about that too because like if you put in pandora sarah borellis it's only going to play female vocalists okay mm-hmm. <laughs> like right. sarah borellis because she's a wonderful singer songwriter you could play crosby stills and nash with her you know mm-hmm. you could play carol king or you know you you could play cat stevens why what is that about women is it is it mostly men that are making these decisions, or is it based on like what you just said, guy, where they've done the research and they know that if you've made this selection, it's because you're a woman and you want to only listen to women or yeah. something? Re- research research can't tell you what you don't ask. Mm. So, like Johnny said, if you don't qualify the question, and you just sit there and you go, okay, well, the men are turning out, well. But is there some other factor that you're not even taking in, taking into consideration here? So, I mean, a lot of mistakes are done with made with research. And, you know, so anyway, what, actually, one of the biggest uh, again, uh, something I didn't cover before. One of the biggest mistakes ever was this huge, re- huge research company, which will go unmentioned. Frank decided. <laughs> no, it was no, he, he, no, it wasn't Frank Maggot. TRG. <laughs> It was it was um, it was done in the early 2000s and they were they decided that they needed to figure out what was what was a problems radio was facing because radio was starting to dip a little bit. And they said, oh, we know what radio's problems are. They hate interruptions. Duh. You know, so so they and 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 the geniuses said, yeah, well, those interruptions are personalities, too. And when they did that, they removed the talk from personality. Said, "Oh, you got to keep what you're saying down, and don't don't go do more than identify the song or or whatever, or you know, sell this or whatever." Do your humor and, over the intro to a record. Yeah, That's the Drake don't, don't don't entertain. In other words, mm-hmm. don't entertain the audience. And um, and at that point, that decision from this major radio company. The, made everybody follow along and the industry stopped investing and in finding great personalities it used to be an obsession it's it became uh you know it became a uh 
um, an annoyance to them. And radio really hurt itself because, frankly, that's the last best chance for radio to survive is great personalities. Like Johnny was saying earlier, radio, you know, a great radio station and a great personality is their friend on the radio. So that so that's one of the thousand cuts. But it might be the deepest cut guy because what you're saying is yeah. that research will say if you pull a person oh yeah i just want to hear the music but what their what their soul knows but their mouth isn't saying is that i really like feeling like i'm a part of something and so if yeah. you have the right personalities i won't necessarily answer a poll to this effect but if you have the right personalities it's just a it's just a known that i feel included and and research would have you cut out something that's just intrinsically a part of why you're listening to the radio in the first place. So when a lot of, I think the great radio programming was done by gut, right? More than by research. Absolutely. You you have a great thing in your presentation, uh, Guy, uh, about the three phases of music and how long those phases last and when in a decade those phases happen. The 10-year music cycle. Yeah, it's fantastic. Talk Talk about about that. that, yeah. Okay. Um, the music site, so years ago in 1990, radio really went through a bad time. And my boss at Nationwide said, I want you to help. I want you to tell us what's wrong, you know, or if you have any ideas, you know, write them down. And I, um, I had been a chart fanatic, you know, from the time I was 14 years old. And I noticed a pattern with music. And that pattern was that in the middle of the decade, music was really pop. And that's when Elvis started in 56. That's when the Beatles started 64, 65. That's wow. when the album artists were really popular in the mid in the mid seventies with Stevie Wonder and the e, you know Eagles and Fleetwood Mac and all these great art and Rolling Stones, all these great artists. And their music was very, was pop. You know, even though it was rock, the Stones were rock, it was a pop rock. Um, you know, the Beatles was a pop rock um, and you know, Stevie Wonder was pop R&B. So that would happen in the middle of every decade. And then for some strange reason, the, the um, you know, it'd get, it get something would happen where the music would get edgier. So in 1969, it went into acid rock and it was Hendrix and all the album artists. Led Zeppelin started in 69. Um, and so that was the end of that decade. And then in 1979, it was disco. So everything, and, and not because the music itself was extreme, but the sheer amount of everything was disco. And then also the, the, the also it was the beginning of punk too, since in, 70, in 79. Um, and in 89, it's when hip hop started. And for a lot of people, that was extreme. And it was also the same time as Guns N' Roses and Metallica and and all the you know the edgy rock started, so the end of the decade was was extreme, and that that's what I termed as the extremes. Then after that, the industry always overcorrected and said, "Oh God, we've lost our adults. We've got to change." And that happened in the '60s. Uh, for a different reason in 1960 because of the payola hearings and every everybody got nervous about playing music um, and got very soft. But it happened in the early 70s with the singer-songwriter music where everything got really, really soft. Helen Reddy, Barry Manilow, um, Carpenters. Uh, and it happened in um, in the early 80s with, you know, with uh, 
Neil Diamond or Barbara Streisand. And and during those periods of, the, and I called that the doldrums, okay? And it was also usually a bad time for ratings for the radio stations too. Um, but country always seemed to rear its head and, and those doldrums periods too. So you had Johnny Cash, um, I think so it was a ring of fire. And in 70, in the mid, in the, in the, uh, in the early 70s, it was, um, you know, uh, in the early 80s, it was Kenny Rogers and the gambler and urban cowboy. So that pattern happened every decade. It was birth in the middle of the decade, extremes, the end of the decade. It was doldrums, usually at the beginning of the decade. And um, and that was happening in the 90s right after the extremes of 1989 with, you know, with uh, Guns and Roses and a lot of, and hip hop starting to become really popular. Uh, radio, it, radio embraced it. And then it, um, and then it struggled with it because it lost its adults. So everybody freaked out. They said, we've got to, we've got to get our adults back. Super soft. Um, Gloria Estefan, Billy Joel, and then radio lost its younger end too. Mm-hmm. So it lost its older end by going to extreme, and then it lost its young, its older end, um, it, its younger end in the early '90s. So long story short, um, they asked me to write about that, and I did, and that's when I actually wrote my first Music Cycles article. That, in, that was um, fascinating. October. That was really, really interesting for those of us that have been around for a while. Oh, thanks. Is it easier to program a, a, a hot AC when you you know that like these are my parameters? This is what folks like, and you don't have to worry about these extremes and trying to please everybody. You know, these companies that owned eight radio stations in a market. Mm-hmm. Guy touched upon this earlier. We were told as programmers, stay in your lane. So Coast might own Michael Bolton, but K-Big, which was the hot AC and the next step up on the dial, was not allowed to touch that Michael Bolton song, no matter how big and massive it might become. Really? Yeah, and when I left K-Earth Guy, at the very end, I was being told that, because I knew it had to move. We had to move the target, not let people march through it. You can hold 2554 and let your audience march through it, or you can move with them. Mm. And I, K-Earth had always evolved. Um, and I knew we had to start adding 80s. Mm-hmm. And the feedback I would get is, hey, you're stepping on Jack FM's territory. <laughs> Show me the list of the 80s you're adding and oh, pull wow. them off. And that's yeah. when I bail. Uh, so you know how, how, how do you explain the the continuous success of K-Earth and Coast in this market? Everybody else is up and down. Everybody else's piece of the pie is getting smaller. But those two stations, and yeah. Coast, it might have something to do with playing Christmas music for seven and a half months every year. <laughs> I think you can have them on. Everyone agrees on the station at work, and you can just have it on. No, that, that, that might be what it is, people being able to play it at work. That might be the answer to the question. That's Johnny's genius. Well, John's, we were a, like I said before. It's we were a companion. Right. Now K Earth is just part of LA's DNA. Oh yeah, because of the dynamic duo of Bob Hamilton and Guy Zapolian. I mean, mm. they really <laughs> knew how to fine tune that, and it's just in there, and you want it. Yeah. Uh, when they moved it to eighties, that was a mass all eighties and and wow. some nineties. Yeah, they're seventies, eighties, and nineties. They advertise it that way now. You know, it's so funny, Johnny, is is you're going, you know, that's your brilliance is understanding when it was time to evolve. And that's when I was at K-Earth, um, 
you know, we were back then. Kareth was almost a hot AC because it was playing current music, you know, the hits as well as older songs. But the older songs were probably at the most 20 years old. And that's a lot of what hot AC does today. Back then, it was considered kind of bizarre that they did that. Anyway, so we were struggling in the ratings. And Bob said, and, uh, and we didn't nobody was playing the mid 60s. And Bob said to me, um, you know, uh, what are we going to do, guy? And I go, well, I said, one thing we could do is on the weekends, we could do these these super 60s weekends because I would go down to the record swap meets and I would bring my little cassette and I would play all my favorite songs, you know, uh, uh, you know, standells and things like that. And people would crowd around me at the at the uh, at the, the record meet and I would go, there's a fan base for this. I said, all these girls love this music. And he goes, well, you know, OK, so so nobody in oldies radio, you know, because we were still con- kind of considered had a, a foot in the oldies radio. Nobody was playing the mid 60s. Nobody. It was all, you know, it was all a softer music mix. And so we started playing the edgier rock songs, you know, the Yardbirds and Standells and, mm-hmm. you know, as well as Supremes and everything else. But nobody was playing that music. Wow. And, and the coast, 60s weekends were huge. At Coast, what really kept us alive, I mean, I remember the sales department put out a, a piece one time of all the call letters that tried to go after the adult audience against us. And it filled a whole eight and a half by 11 piece of paper um but what always put us over the top the secret weapon was love songs mm. oh right i forgot and you had special that. shows yeah. around and that's that. what's kept that has kept that station alive and that's six to ten at night right it's it's night it's a nighttime well right? well it, it, sometimes it was six to midnight it, it yeah. went to 2 a.m sometimes depending when the overnight guy showed up for work <laughs> Well, we're going to have to wrap things oh, up, but That's before we before we do so, it, it, Guy, is there any place that you'd like people to find you and and Johnny Seam? Find well, you I'm on Facebook. Okay. Um, I I try not to post too much about politics because I uh, <laughs> I have my my wife doesn't want me to do that, but I do it on my own pages, and um, so I'm on Facebook, but I'm also on uh, um, I have a website, uh, guyzapolian.com. Is so, your um, PowerPoint presentation on your website? Is that for no. public consumption or not? Uh, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah. found it. Re- I, maybe it's because I was in radio, but I think Weezy will agree that was a really interesting piece of information. You will find a lot of it in the you- YouTube version of this very show. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. She's Johnny, where can folks find you? Uh, I'm on Facebook, but I've you know the past ten years of my life, I've made a. Uh, you know, it's been my purpose to not be found. <laughs> you know, when, sometimes when you hang it up, and you were talking earlier, one last point, yeah, about music. And I've given this advice to so many of my air talents who have left or at been asked to leave their radio positions. <laughs> Don't listen to it anymore. I only listen to news and talk radio now. Yeah, yeah you're on the news. I yeah. find out the news from you now, now that I'm out of it. Yeah. All right. Well, I would like to thank both of you for being here. And here come our closing credits. Thank you so much for joining us. We would love to continue this conversation with you on Instagram and Twitter. We are at MediapathPod. Oh, wait. Fritz was going to read something special. I was going to read, but I can do it after the credits. I don't want to ruin the flow no, of the credits. No, no, no. The music comes in over the credits. Because you always add people to the credits that I don't even know, and I always look forward to who's going to be showing up there. Yep. So go ahead. All right. Princess. Here we go. You know, we're very proud of these contests we do where we're giving away product, as they say in the business. And here is a, here is a, 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 a great email we got from Kelly Conway, who is Tim Conway's daughter that wrote a fantastic 
fantastic book about her dad and her relationship. No, it's with. from someone who won the book. No, I know that, but but we got it. Didn't we get it from Kelly or did we get it from the person? Okay, well, whoever we got it from. It's from it's a happy, satisfied prize winner. Right, anyway, here we go. We received some great feedback from Elise, a Media Path listener and giveaway winner. One of the several books that were included in the prize, she won My Dad's Funnier Than Your Dad Growing Up with Tim Conway in The Funniest House in America by Kelly Conway. Elise has graciously allowed us to share her thoughts and we'll read a few excerpts right now. It was a 14-page diatribe and we've whittled it down to these few words. Longer than Kelly's book, which was impressive. I have to tell you that I'm reading Kelly Conway's book and when I first picked it up, the first chapter about her forced separation from her father during his final days and his death made me so sad that I wasn't sure I was really going to enjoy it. Then I returned to it, and it is like plunging back into my youth. I grew up in the valley, spent summers outside, went to Sportsman's Lodge, went to high school with Guy Zapolian at Birmingham. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Want a car? With, with, with grandparents, walked the elementary school down the street, and certainly my father was not Tim Conway, but the little wisdoms that her father imparted reminded me of the small nuggets that my father gave to me. All this to say, I picked up Kelly's book expecting to read about her father, which of course I did. However, her writing evoked a remembrance of things past, and I sank into my childhood and visited my old haunts and saw my parents again. It's not just the lay of the land that was familiar, so that drew me in. So a satisfied customer, all that to say. And we're launching our holiday giveaway this week, folks. In our Facebook group, although Johnny would say, never say folks, say you, like you're talking to one person. Okay. In our Facebook group, Media Path Podcast with Fritz and Wheezy, Facebook community. And you could be the next winner when you join us there. The upcoming prize will include books like Joyce Chopra's Lady Director, fantastic book. And honest to God, one of the funniest books I've ever read, Liz Astroff's Stay at Work Mom, among others. Please sign up. It's the Media Path Podcast with Fritz and Wheezy, Facebook community. It's a very elite group. So join now while we still have openings. We have some openings for you. Thank you so much for joining us. We would love to continue this conversation with you on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at MediapathPod, and on Facebook, where our show page is MediaPath Podcast, and our Facebook group is, as Fritz just mentioned, MediaPath with Fritz and Wheezy Podcast Community. You can find full video podcast episodes loaded with Guy Zapolian's PowerPoint presentation and bonus visual content on our YouTube channel, MediaPath Podcast. You can write to us at MediaPathPodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoyed the show in general, Please give us a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and write a review that uses words like brilliant and groundbreaking (laughs) when you talk about us. Please do that, and we will greatly appreciate it and send you like a book or something. You can sign up for our fun and dishy newsletter at MediaPathPodcast.com. We want to thank our wonderful guests, Guy Zapolian and Johnny Kay. Our team includes Dina Friedman, John Maddox, Sharon Bellio, Bill Filipiak, Thomas Hubble, Mason Brown, Garrett Arch, and you. Our theme music is by me and John Maddox. I am Louise Palanker here with Fritz Coleman. Be well and wise, and we will see you along the media path.